Is there a library, a bookstore around here where I could get books on rock and roll? Rock and roll. Story's true. This is a story that needs to be told. These rock and rollers want something to read. Hello, diggers, and welcome to another edition of the Rock and Roll Librarian. With me is, as always, Shelly Sorensen. Shelly Sorensen. How are I, you, Shelly Sorensen? I am here, and I'm I'm good, and I'm fine. I'm working on my second beer, so what's oh, bad about that? Nothing. No. Nothing. Not for Sunday uh, after a, a a nice Thanksgiving weekend. Did that's you have right. a good Thanksgiving? Yes. Oh, that's good. That's yes. good. You know, we haven't seen you in a while. It's been two months. September 14th was the last time that you we- You haven't uh, seen the day. Rock and Roll Librarian no, recently. Li- no, no, no. Well, well, I have. The, You've seen me, the, but the, the, the public, the public hasn't yes, seen The me. audience of uh, Diggers has or not heard me. Heard yeah. you, yes. So uh, what's been going on? Why have you been absent? Well, I I produced a, a musical uh, gala yes, for my did. 60th birthday, and yeah, so that was- yeah quite exciting and time consuming and um got to hear many of my friends sing and play music including me and you yes so that was an awesome way to launch my decade of the 60s in which i'm going to have a heck of fun or hell of fun as we say in california well that's good that's good so what do we got today what what are we going to dive into uh on the rock and roll librarian I read um, a book that I was actually quite motivated to read called From Cradle to Stage, Stories from the Mothers Who Rocked and Raised Rock Stars. Uh, That's a big title. Yes. And it's by who? And it's it's by Virginia Hanson Grohl, who is the mother of David Grohl. Ah, the one and only Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, as well as another little band that he used to be in. What was that called? Mm, Nirvana? Nirvana, right. (laughs) Nirvana, right. That's right. right. So, really... This is about how to become a rock and roll star. <laughs> well, it's how to become the mother of a rock and roll star. Well, I don't have a song for that, but I got <laughs> one for So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star. That's right. Oh, yes. And uh, that, by the way, is the Tom Petty version, yeah. uh, not the Birds version. So. But his uh, his mother was not one of the mothers interviewed for this book. No, sadly. No. Uh, I, yeah, that's more. I, I just, hey, let's pay tribute to Tom Petty as yes. much as we can. Uh, of course. Right now. So. Totally. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, all right. So uh, is it Virginia Grohl? Is that it's right? It's Virginia, Virginia Hanson Grohl. Yes. Virginia Hanson Grohl so. wrote a book about uh, talking to the mothers of various rock stars. And uh, go through the list first of, oh. of who the rock stars were. Okay. Um, or the I, mothers these of are these the rock moms. stars. Yes. I not, won't not say the, the mom's names because yes. yeah. uh, you won't recognize yeah, them. Right. So, um, so the mothers of Michael Stipe. 
with mm-hmm. REM. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Dre with uh, NWA and yeah. etc. And, and Dr. Dre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Miranda Lambert. Uh, Mike D of the Beastie Boys, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Gary Clark Jr., oh, fabulous guitar okay. player. Mm-hmm. Uh, Haim, oh, who is the, uh, uh, the three, three sisters, sisters right. singing duo. Yeah. Um, Getty Lee. Oh, a Rush. Rush. Yep. Okay. Uh, Adam Levine of Maroon Five. And Adam Levine. And Adam Levine, <laughs> Carol, well, Kelly well Clarkson. Enough. Oh yes, Queen of Country. Uh, Pharrell Williams. Oh yeah, cool dude. Uh, Dave Matthews. Oh Dave. Of course, uh, Kurt Cobain, who mm-hmm. was in Nirvana. Yep. Um, Zach Brown. Wow, a lot. Yep. Warren Haynes. Oh geez. Amy oh. Winehouse. Yeah. Josh Groban. Adam Levin. I, I think you already hit Adam Levine. No, it's Adam Levin, ex-ambassadors. I'm oh. not familiar with them. Okay. Uh, Tom Morello. Okay. And, yep, uh, of Morello's course, cool. David Grohl. Yeah. Of, yep. what, what and those are, those are the mothers. Yeah. So basic- We're not going to hit them all today, folks. No, that no. would take hours. That would. And, We're going to uh, take a sampling, I believe, right? Yes. And okay. I, I've, I've chosen a few mm-hmm. um, that I found interesting, but if you want to read about... Uh, her her interviews with the mothers of these other musicians, then uh, you will have to read the book, because I cannot I cannot summarize everything for you people. No, that's no. The, well, we're just supposed to give a preview. That's and right. Tell them whether you like it or not, and whether they should go out and read it. That's right. And, and you, uh, okay, all right. So this was, I mean, for me, I was I was um, kind of motivated to read this book. Um, being, being a, a mother, mother and all, right? I am a mother, and I'm a mother of an 18 and 21, 18 and 21 year old boys who are not musicians, and I am a musician. So, and so is my husband. So I was kind of wondering, you know, what what is the special secret ingredient? Is there a special secret ingredient to create these people? And I mean, obviously there's not, but it's very interesting to me to read about. I think you uh, have to start with an egg and a sperm <laughs> and then, no. <laughs> and, and how and does that happen? And it all goes from there. Wait, how does that happen, Christian? <laughs> oh, <laughs> how um, do they meet? Okay. Um, <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm really embarrassed right now. <laughs> So anyway, um, so I, I, I was just interested in, you know, whether there were common threads right, right. amongst um, the, the upbringings of these kids. Nature or nurture. Yes. And right. did, the, did the mothers see this coming? Did they surround their kids with music? You know, or were not. they supportive or not supportive? Right. Right. Were they raised in privilege or neglect? Were they poor? Were they rich? Did they have music lessons? You know, all of these questions, you know. Um, and obvious, clearly there, there's not one major common thread, but she, she has gotten together with these women and, and interviewed them and told her story and their stories. And then in the end, she had some ways to kind of, um, summarize Mm -hmm. what she thought were some of the common threads and what, what may just be something that these kids are born with too. Yeah. So I, the, the way I understand it is that, uh, you know, she kind of, uh, has an interview with uh, one of the moms of uh, of a famous uh, musician, rock star, and then she kind of has an interlude uh, where she kind of thinks about what they said and how she did things, and you know, obviously being the mother of uh, of Dave Grohl, right? Right, right, uh-huh. and she she has these 
intervening little uh, short chapters she calls vignettes, mm-hmm. where she kind of dives back into her and Dave's history and relationship and Mm -hmm. how you know for example she always loved music though she wasn't raised in a musical household but she sang in a girl group when she was in high school called the three bells and um and their home you know they that she played a lot of music all different kinds of music in the home and they um drove around in the car and listened to music and harmonized um in fact dave writes the foreword in this book where he says that he remembers the very moment when he was six years old that his and his mother's voices split into harmony and he realized they were singing along to some song maybe the Beatles or or I don't remember exactly which song it was but he realized that he was singing one note and his mother was singing another note and together they created harmony and that those two notes or three notes together made a chord. Mm -hmm. And when he was six, he remembers that very clearly and that it got seared into his memories and songs after that became his toys and puzzles and challenges and mysteries. So he started, you know, listening. How was that put together? How would I do that? That kind of thing which I thought was really cool because that's the way when I became entranced with music that happened to me. Like, how would I sing this song? How do the chords, you know, relate to the melody and that kind of thing? They're like puzzles. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely. Especially when you don't know anything. Right. And you just start to say, wow, that's interesting. How does this complicated machine come together with the various parts and pieces of, uh, you know, rhythm and beat and uh, melody and harmony? So... You know, I guess he started doing it young, which shows a predilection to music, huh? Yes. And then, you know, and in his case, of course, those two things were married. You know, he had a predilection for it and plus he was surrounded by it. But that's not true in all the cases that we're going to talk about. Right. Well, since Dave wrote the foreword, let's start with with a Foo Fighters song, huh? Okay. How about Learn to Fly? He learned. All right. So, you know, we went through the list, which is a fairly extensive list and across the board, uh, you know, you got country in there, you've got rock, you've got rap and hip hop, you've got uh, men, you've got women. You've got folk. Uh, I mean, uh, punk. you got punk. Yeah. So, yeah. And so a little bit of everything. Good for her. But we got to start somewhere. So who are we going to start with? Well, we're going to start with Dr. Dre, who was born Andre Young. That's right. And um, <clears throat> straight, I, out, straight out of Compton. He was straight out of Compton. <laughs> he was born in, in uh, Compton to his mom, whose name was Verna, is Verna Griffin. Mm-hmm. And um, she was a teenage mother. She was 15 when he was born. And uh, he was a baby in 1965. 
during well, let's the, hope so. Yes. <laughs> during the Watts riots. Oh, uh, so, yes, yes. So he, she Watts was riots, living so. with her 17-year-old husband and her baby with her parents mm-hmm. in Compton. And they heard the sirens and um, all the um, horrible things that were going on around the Watts riots, which actually I heard when I was five because I lived in Baldwin Hills. So, you know, 10 years apart, here we are in, in Los Angeles hearing this huge social and racial unrest in parts of LA and Andre was born into this when she wrote her uh she wrote her own book about her life uh Long Road Out of Compton in which she talks about her sharecropper grandparents um how they you know passed down determination and hard work to her she was born in Long Beach herself and similarly I the thought LBC. it was interesting to Virginia Grohl is that she also sang in a girl group with her girlfriends in high school so that's kind of cute to to see the moms you know getting together when they were teenagers and singing you know she was singing Motown and um, Stax and R&B and stuff like that well I gotta play a little uh, NWA uh, and we're gonna start with Straight Outta Compton When something happens in South Central Los Angeles, nothing happens. It's just another nigga dead, 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 dead. Straight out of Compton, crazy motherfucker named Ice Cube. From the gang called niggas with attitudes. When I'm called off, I got a sword off. Squeeze the trigger and bodies are hauled off. You two boy, if you fuck with me, the police are gonna have to come and get me off your ass. That's how I'm going out. For the punk motherfuckers that Wow, I was strangely into that oh man no that's good that is good shit yeah i know i didn't think i was and i'm sitting here like bobbing my head and everything um it's funny because nwa just so you know i mean you remember that's easy e who kind of opens the song and then it's ice cube who's uh singing it dj yella mc ren arabian prince uh all part of of uh of the niggas with attitude nwa oh yes i said nwa but sure yeah uh and uh, dr dre is you know the dj he's he's the guy who's coming up with the beats he is and you know actually that that song that you just played is a far cry from what his mother was playing of course when she was a teenager and he was a baby <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was all yeah. like you know marvin gay oh, yeah. the supremes yeah, yeah, the stacks yeah. and motown the memphis sound um, right great Stevie wonder things music like that, right? of that time yeah. but the interesting tie-in is that she had an amazing record collection because oh. she loved music so she went out and bought albums whenever she could and they had them at home and when they would have family parties doctor dr dre little baby dr dre andre (laughs) the baby dre i guess they called him would you know was so familiar with those records even before he could read he knew the like the colors and the you know the look of the albums and where you know which track he liked on the record and so he would dj When he was, you know, like as young as six years old for the family, when they would come over, he would pull records out and play, you know, the music for the family parties. So that kind of started his DJing abilities. So I Mm -hmm. thought that was a a really neat tie-in. Of course, he had a good childhood in that he lived with his grandparents a lot of the time, but uh, Verna was divorced fairly 
early by the age of 18 because his dad um, got in trouble and went to jail um, and she remarried and had a couple more children and another divorce so she had to work long and hard as a single mother to you know support him so she taught him all of that what she learned from her parents and her grandparents about hard work and you know all her kids had to work for whatever they wanted it's like he had a poor childhood but he did not in, in any way have a neglected childhood yeah, and yeah, he was surrounded yeah. by music that, yeah. and he knew that what he wanted was within his reach but he had to work hard now like um, other, you know, musical geniuses that I've read about in this book, he knew very early what he wanted to do. He wanted to work in music and he didn't really, you know, get school and he didn't like it and he didn't w want to do it. While she thought he was, he was studious and he was quiet that he was going to grow up and go to college and be a doctor or something like that. That was not what he was into. So no, he became the first yeah. uh, hip hop billionaire. And though. in his his instrument was his ear, as she says. Right, so he right. heard nuances and sound and rhythm that he was able to combine, and he used the music of his childhood as a platform for some of the you know the DJing he did and the raps that he built after that. Well, I, I, we can't leave Dr. Dre without playing Fuck the Police. No. <laughs> Are you going to play that now? So. Yeah. Oh, so I'm going to play mean, it now. Yeah. One of the, <laughs> one of the things <laughs> that. Fuck yeah, I'm playing yeah, now. Fuck yeah. <laughs> one of the things that fuck Virginia, the, the author of the book, talks about um, in relation to uh, Verna and Dr. Dre's story is that. You know, a lot of women, uh, people ask her over and over throughout the years, like, well, it's fine that you have a son that's, you know, a daughter that's f f rich and famous, but how can you stand their music? And that was one of the things that Verna had to deal with when she first started hearing Dr. Dre's music, of course, was that it was, you know, full Laced of profanity and right, this yeah. really anti-authoritarian yeah. yeah. kind of thing. But oh. she, having grown up in Compton, you know, knew that that was part of the, uh, you know, that there was a social justice message that needed to be shared. And so she's, you know, come to terms with that. And, and her son, of course, is, you know, wealthy now and helps her out with a lot of her, her businesses. And she has her own fashion line now. And, um, she always was a sewer, and now she um, makes fashions and sells them online, and he's supported her through through all of that. Well, who cares? Fuck the police. <laughs> Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it bad because I'm brown. And not the other color, so police think they have the authority to kill a minority. Fuck that shit because I ain't the one for a punk motherfucker with a badge and a gun to be Selling narcotics. You rather see me in the pen than me and Lorenzo rolling in a benzo. Be the police out of shape, and when I finish, bring the yellow tape. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> Something to warm a mother's heart. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Dr. Dre, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's a pattern arriving here that both these at six or seven, they're doing something musically. Um, uh, Dave Grohl mentions the thought of harmony uh, at six, and Dr. Dre is spinning records at six. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see if let's see if this uh, if this um, uh, trend continues. So, all right. So who uh, who are we going to talk about next? Well, let's let's go back to. Kurt Cobain. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Of course, this was, you know, one of Dave Grohl's first bandmates. Yeah. Uh, Dave Grohl started out with um, a band called yeah. Scream, actually. Oh, yeah. okay. And yeah, they we... toured and for they... a while on the West Coast, and then that broke up, and he got tapped um, to be in Nirvana. He was actually their fifth drummer. Yeah. And he didn't get into the band until 1992. I believe, and that's when. Yeah, just as the after. In fact, uh, just before they started recording, uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Right. Yeah, and or so never mind. I should. That's say. that's say the um, that's the first time. Uh, Wendy Cobain O'Connor, who's um, Kurt Cobain's mother, and Virginia Grohl first met in 1992. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was um, the first rock mom that Virginia met. Uh, after her son, you know, quit school and went off to play music. They met each other in New York City when Nirvana had a weekend of engagements on MTV and Saturday Night Live. And and that's when they pretty much like just exploded to fame. Um, they had an instant connection and they sh- shared stories about their boys. And Wendy um, said that Kurt had always been writing on walls and in notebooks. Oh, <laughs> I like that. So she said he just was writing all the time. And um, she talked about how um, she and Kurt had always been close. And so she, she was the first one that Virginia thought about when she was writing this book. Because Wendy um, was trying to describe, you know, of course, the the bond that that she and Kurt had and how, and really, you know, the kinds of things that the fans and the public didn't see so much about Kurt was his kind of quiet, shy and vulnerable nature that Wendy mentioned. For example, when they were on the Saturday Night Live stage, that she could tell Kurt was looking for her from the audience to for his mom because he was kind of scared. Uh, and so, you know, you don't really think about him good, like that, right, but right. obviously he was a vulnerable soul and died, you know, just a couple of weeks late, a couple of weeks, a couple um, years later. Yeah. 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 Well, let's uh, play, let's play heart-shaped box to start off with here. mother would recognize that song especially of a certain age i should say uh um, you know what the heart-shaped box is yeah uh, so uh, but um 
You know, you talked about you know his shyness, uh, mm-hmm. his insecurities, especially on stage. And you know, as a as a performer, you know, I understand that as well. I mean, that's a big reason why we do it. You know, it's we can get up there and be, become something outside of ourselves. Whereas behind the stage, we are shy and quiet. And uh, you know, this is an opportunity to 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 maybe get a little bit bigger. Right, right. Hey, Christian, I never thought of you as shy and quiet somehow. (laughs) You're shocking me here. Well, we start off that way and we gain confidence if we've been doing this for 40 years. So, you know, that was not the way it started. It was definitely a opportunity to uh, get out of my shell, if you you will. So, uh, so, and that, uh, it worked very well for me. And uh, that's a, that's a common thing with, uh, with rock stars is uh, you find that you know a good many of them are kind of quiet uh, behind the scenes and you know you throw them up on the stage yeah they come alive alive, yeah it's true yeah so yeah so now these two have been friends for a long time you said so and and i think this wasn't so much like the other moms uh more of a you know hi how are you let's interview you sort of thing this was you know a personal relationship that she had with uh with wendy right yes and in fact wendy didn't really want to have a kind of a standard interview because she'd had, of course, really bad experiences being interviewed, you know, both during the media frenzy around Nirvana. And then, of course, after Kurt committed suicide, the media just, you know, wouldn't let the family alone. And then she had an experience with a with a documentary that was done on Kurt and felt that she was really portrayed very badly and that just kind of opened the wounds again so she just wanted Virginia to share some of the memories that Virginia had had of Kurt because as we know they were all very young when Nirvana came on the scene and Virginia remembers you know things about that time that are very happy times because that was her first musical family and she remembers Kurt coming to a party at her house and just kind of sitting aside from everybody else and sitting down with him and talking about books and philosophy and um and he was just lovely and quiet and introspective and that's the way Wendy likes to remember him you know they didn't they didn't have a a straight interview and talk about like what what led up to his suicide and what you know what his childhood was like but Mm -hmm. clearly this is one of the situations where you have a musical genius kind of at the mercy of some kind of rock and roll machine that's just gotten a little bit too too frenzied and too much attention and he already yeah the celebrity side of things was was a real problem for him right Uh, and you know with all the things that have been written uh, about uh, Kurt Cobain over the decades it's it's been now you know it seems to be that's the common theme is the uh, the expectation uh, and uh, you know the push from the, uh, the record company yeah the demands, demands of the from audience fans and uh, from yeah, the money machine uh, it just uh, got to be uh, too much for yeah him. I can imagine if you're a sensitive soul that mm-hmm. would be really hard to deal with and unfortunately you know some of these moms you know when their kids are of age you know well they can't control them even if they, when they're teenagers so how can they control them when they're older and and it's something that um you know that the moms are not a part of and that you know unfolds and happens and if the child or the you know teenager is sensitive then 
you know, those two things are going to clash and not go well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to play Come As You Are. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, that's always a kind of a bummer topic when you start talking about uh, Kurt Cobain, uh, who was so influential, um, really a, a big moment in rock and roll uh, and a, a savior moment in some ways. And and I guess and that's some of the reason why, um, you know, he's no longer with us is because so many people put so much, so much pressure to, yeah. to them. I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they never thought of themselves as like some big giant band they weren't uh, put together for that and right. and then all of a sudden you know they 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 changed the face of of rock and roll right uh, it's kind of antithetical in a way to what they were doing you know <laughs> yeah, yeah now you're the you know one of the biggest <laughs> bands in the world yeah. that's uh, that's not what we meant <laughs> yeah 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 it's pretty crazy so yeah yeah. All right, all yeah. right. So let's move to uh, to our next guest yes, today. Yes, let's do that. Um, well, our next um, our next uh, contestant. No, I mean uh, <laughs> topic yes. is um, Getty Lee. Oh, from Rush. Rush. Yes. Okay. Now, I this was a fascinating story. Oh yes, um, I I know uh, Getty's mom's a little story. Bit. Pretty yeah, well, so. she was born actually. She calls herself Mary Wine Rib mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. but she was born Manya mm-hmm. in Poland. Right. She was 14 when the Nazis invaded Poland, and her father was shot before her very eyes. Yeah. Um, the Jews were moved to a ghetto, you know, like yeah. in other areas, and lived there for two years, and then they were rounded up to be sent to sent Auschwitz. To the camps. Right. Mm-hmm. And so her mother and her two sisters were rounded up, and they started separating them into like you're too weak and um frail to work in the camp so you know that those were the ones that were going to be executed right right away and um, manya was put into that group um, because she was only 14 she was very frail she was very skinny because she hadn't been eating well for two years and her mother went like courageously kind of behind the line while nobody was looking and grabbed her and took her into the group that was going to Auschwitz and wouldn't get executed right away. So she survived that, but then she was a couple years at least in Auschwitz and then the the allies liberated the camp and then they all moved to a relocation camp at Bergen-Belsen. And while she was in Auschwitz, she met a a man named Morris, who was also um, a prisoner, and he got um, transferred. So they were separated, even after they'd fallen in love. And he came to Bergen-Belsen after the end of the war and found her. 
Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah, like, that's to me, Lee's dad. Yeah. that's so like dramatic. Yeah. And so they got married and moved to Toronto after mm-hmm. all of that mm-hmm. incredible, horrible drama. And this was in the 40s. And Gary, as he was christened, <laughs> was born there in 1953. Well, let's play a little of a, a song that it's not the most well-known Rush song, but it's it does speak about the harrowing history of uh, the uh, Getty's family, and that's Red Sector A. Yeah, that's that's a pretty pretty rough story. Yeah, uh, that's intense. And I believe she's still alive, right? She is. She was ninety, I think, at the writing of this book. Yeah. She's totally beautiful. I mean, she was a beauty, uh-huh. and she looks great. Yeah. But um, so that, let's, so that, they, they they're living in Toronto. They're living in Toronto. Yeah. Um, and the father um opens a store, Morris. Yeah. Like, not a corner store, but a a convenience store. He died in 1965, very unexpectedly. Yeah, Yeah, and he was the love of her life, and they had three kids. So she was left a widow with these children, and she had no clue about how to run the store, but she pulled herself together and figured out how to do it. Now, this is a situation where the family with a child was not immersed in music while he was a child. They didn't have... So he wasn't sick and spinning records or well, discovering harmony. He kind of was. He, somehow, um, the father, for some reason, bought a piano when they moved. Not that he played music or the mom played music. They wanted their children to have lessons. Mm-hmm. So they gave the oldest daughter lessons. And not 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 Gary or Getty, as he was called because of his mother's um, accent, but um, she was practicing and playing and learning from a teacher on this piano. And Getty had his ear to the floor and was listening to them. And the, the sister didn't want to do it at all. She thought it was boring and stupid. And he just like sat down at the piano and started replaying everything that was happening in the lesson. And they realized he had just incorporated, like he had just drank it in and, you know, spit it out. And so that, I mean, to me, that shows total musical genius that was just part of some kind of DNA. So basically, he wasn't really into the piano, but he was into, you know, he had a good ear for music. So when she said, it's time for me to get you some kind of present for helping out in the store, he wanted a guitar and she bought him a guitar. And very soon after that, he got his friends together, and the, that was the members of Rush at that time. And they started playing the basement when he was a teenager. The the funniest thing yeah, about him this... Yeah, him and Alex uh, are lifelong friends. 
Alex Lifeson uh, uh-huh. from the band. Pert shows up a little bit later, so I think it's John Rutsey is the original drummer for, for Rush. But they started, uh, yeah, as teenagers right trying to play wherever they could. Right? Yep. And the, the funny part of this story to me is I just love this, um, this scene where uh, because he was playing in the basement and Mary's mother was living with them so she's like a conservative kosher jew who has survived auschwitz and this long-haired boy is bringing his friends into the basement and playing thrashing rock and roll so there were some kind of battles between the neighbors and the grandma and eventually um, the grandmother moved out into with with her other daughter because she couldn't stand the music. Oh, geez. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but Mary kept it going. She I kept think. it going yeah. and she decided that, um, well, the battles over the hair were fruitless after she tried cutting his hair while he was sleeping mm. and he woke up and was totally angry about that so yeah. she gave up about the hair wish my mom would have listened to that yeah mm-hmm. and then one of the the kind of through lines of all the mothers in these stories is that there's always a conversation about school at some point <laughs> you mean the backup plan <laughs> that's right, right. and uh, every it seemed like every mother had you know their kid had to pro- have problems in school they're brought in to talk to the teachers and to the principals and stuff like that and the interesting thing that happened in this situation was that by the time Getty got to be a senior in high school his counselor recommended that he leave school yeah because you know why because he was already a professional musician <laughs> so he could become a working man yeah, that's right Don't you just love Rush? <laughs> I don't really, but I like the line about the ice cold beer. So oh, well, I'm good. yes. Yeah, well, you know, uh, that's a working man. You yeah. Know? So, nah, uh, Rush that was... is not my favorite. I'm sorry, fans, but that's just the truth. Oh, well, to each their own. You know, that's right. Uh, you know, music has many opportunities for, uh, for people to love and hate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> hate it. I just don't love it. But uh, his mother loved it. That's the most important thing. That's right. That's right. She, she was says, a big supporter of Yeah, Getty. she was surprised. Gary, Gary, Getty. Getty, 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 Getty. 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 <laughs> she said uh, she went to one of his first, you know, shows at some club and she was she said, surprisingly, I liked it. He and his long hair belonged on that stage. Yeah. And she even stocked his albums and posters at their family store. <laughs> and get can you imagine walking into that family store in Toronto and the right. place is plastered with Rush albums and posters? Well, so you know. she was doing her job. She gave the po- the albums away if kids didn't have money. And, uh, you know, promoted and supported him that way. Oh, of course, of course. That's what moms are supposed to do. Right, right.
So let's let's talk a little bit about um, uh, Virginia herself. And, you know, like you said, there's these vignettes that come in between each of the interviews where she kind of talks a little bit about, you know, what she did and what uh, what her life was like. I know they grew up in Washington, D.C., right? Yeah, actually, he was born in Ohio, but they must have moved to the sub Virginia suburbs soon after that. Yeah, Virginia herself. I said she sang in uh, a girl group. She had an aunt who was very musical, but her her family was not musical. So, you know, it's really interesting to try to tease out what what the common commonalities are here. David's um, childhood, he was a uh, really he play he was in a couple of school plays and he was really into the comedy kind of shtick and it, you know it was pretty clear from early on that he was into comedy and uh-huh. he liked being on stage and he liked the applause the center of attention so that was one right. of the first kinds of things he was happy silly and goofy yeah, so she kind paid of like he is the, uh, right. yeah and she was an educator uh-huh. so she was a teacher and you know had that of course that conversation about school for a long time she really tried to <laughs> find him the right educators uh-huh. and the programs and the things that would make him love school right. but he never did he never in did music. yeah 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 and um she bought him uh an acoustic guitar when he was a teenager and she had she said she had visions of her having a glass of wine cooking dinner and he would be strumming quietly you know and singing folk songs or you know beatles songs or something but no instead he was inspired by rush and <laughs> well, it was good. Led, we just played that, huh? And Led Zeppelin <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, he took a few music lessons, but they just weren't his thing. He just wanted to go his own way. And since punk was thriving in DC at that time, he started switching to drums and he joined two punk bands um, when he was 15. So two of the mothers from those bands um, shuffled them to gigs and drove them to clubs and stayed and listened to them play and had a had a fun time. So they thought that was really fun. But the school thing was a problem. Yeah. So she said, you know, everybody has the dropping out of school conversation. And he wanted to tour with one of his bands, which was Scream. And Virginia just thought it was a good idea. Like, why force the round peg into the square hole or the square peg into the round hole or whichever way? Um, She thought he would get a good education, you know, traveling around the country and traveling out of the country. So, you know, she just sees it as schools fail these kids. They're just not doing what these kids need. You know, know, they want everybody to work on Wall Street or be an engineer or, you know, math and science. It's all STEM. In fact, that that bothers me these days because, you know, there's such a focus on STEM, which is a good idea, but they're missing a letter. And that's the A, the STEAM. Uh, You know, where are the arts? Because, you know, there are a lot of people, um, you know, myself included, that wants to be an artist of some form and needs you know the ability to learn those crafts um so it just should be anyway no i know i have share your frustrations because i had my own kid who has adhd and you know there was never in high school can hello what happened to the trades even right not just arts 
but the trades it's all like you have to take four years of math yeah. oh no i yeah. have a math dyslexia yeah. i can't do that <laughs> Why are you torturing uh, these people? Uh, well, all <laughs> they do is they create a bunch of pretenders. Ooh. So I'm going to play nice. the pretender. Nice segue. Not insinuating that Dave Grohl is a pretender Not or any of that. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, one of the great rock stars still in existence and yeah, with us. He these seems days. very genuine, you know, like and um like a really good guy. Of course his mother would think that. Oh, but. you know, saw him a couple of years ago, they were fantastic yeah just really a great band uh, yeah so all right like we said we've kind of pushed uh, virginia's uh, pieces in between like she does in the book um so who's up next well the darling amy winehouse is up next Ooh, another yeah. one we've lost yes so. her mother janice um was interviewed by virginia and of course, we all know that Amy's story does not end well. No, just like Kirk, at That's 27. Right. Yep. You know, she was uh, yeah, born in London in 1983 and was dead 27 years later of alcohol poisoning. So my question is, what is that like for a mother? Just like, you know, Wendy Comey, obviously it's not good, but how do you, how do you ever survive something like that as a mother? You I mean, don't. You know. Um, you, you don't. I have per some personal experience with that. And, yeah. Uh, you, you know, what I've been able to observe myself is that there's this um, ultimate sadness that never, never goes away. No. Uh, the intensity uh, drops. Right. Um, and it usually drops, uh, you know, a good bit after the first year there's there's what i call the year of firsts because everything is a memory oh everything yeah right is, christmas thanksgiving a, birthdays every, oh it's it's horrible yeah but after that first year you know the intensity uh drops by about 50 percent, but then it doesn't drop much beyond that right you, know, you right. may drop a another five percent it's a forever something like it's that it's a forever but, sadness yeah yeah it's a, it's a it's a forever sadness yeah you know, the the old adage children should never lead their parents in death so no. uh, you know it just should not happen but unfortunately it does so. yes uh, for a variety of reasons and i can imagine it must be tough for uh, amy winehouse's mom to have to go through that especially since it was an, an obvious problem and one i'm sure she tried to deal with for as long as amy was with us and until she just lost the battle. Yeah. For me, um, it's, it's a very interesting question about how much parents can do, you know, when their children are adults. You know, how much leverage you have, how much influence you have after a certain time. You oh, know? by 16, it's all over. Yeah. I mean, that's my... <laughs> 
that's that's my experience. Well, it's um, just the modern world itself. You know, it it pushes these children to adulthood, uh, to a young age, to become you know a consumer. Right. And, uh, well, and and peer peer influence yeah, has been yeah. shown to be so much more important than parental influence, but. In Amy's case, this is an interesting story because she came out from birth as Amy. You know, so so we were talking about like nature nurture. Mm-hmm. How much how much of this is, you know, DNA and um, just like what the child is born with and how much of it is the family environment and the parents and that kind of thing. And so clearly... Amy was a child, a difficult child for a parent to have from the get-go. Right. Uh, You know, Janice had already had a son. Mm -hmm. He was three years old when Amy was born. So she thought, oh, I'm a parent. I know how to be a parent. And then Amy was born and Amy just threw everything off the rails. She was just, you know, looking back on it, because I have a child with ADHD, I can see when she's describing Amy as a child, well, clearly she had ADHD. She was, you know, averse to authority. She had unlimited energy. She couldn't sit still. She was intelligent and creative, though. And, you know, every child, of course, with ADHD is different, too, and have their pluses and minuses and their strengths and weaknesses. And so in Amy's case, that was the fact that she wrote constantly and she had a notebook everywhere she went with her. She wrote poetry, she wrote music, songs, lists, and she was always singing. So again, in early in elementary very, very school, young age, yeah, yeah, in early by early elementary school, she was enrolled in a music program and had her first recital. So here are parents who are given a very specific and kind of um, unique child, they're trying to support her and do, you know, and, and kind of lift her up and do what, where, what her inclinations show her that it's time to do. And she had this powerful voice, even from the time she was a child. Well, let's show everybody how powerful that voice was. I'm going to play a little of Back to Black. Powerful voice, but one of the most unique voices to to play in rock and roll or soul music. Neo soul is what what she usually gets classified in. Uh, Single handedly bringing back this old school feel to uh, to to songs uh, that so many others have picked up on since Amy Winehouse. 
Yeah. In fact, she started um, when she was 17 with the, um, let's see, no, that's not right, in 2000. So I'm not sure how old she was then, but she started singing with the National Jazz Orchestra. So she was really incubated in the jazz kind of world. And yeah, I agree that her interpretation is, of course, the the most amazing thing about her. And oh her yeah, voice. coming from that Sarah Vaughan and Dinah. Yeah, Washington and she yeah, she, that was one of her definite did, influences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Along with that came her very early drinking problem. So, you know, even when she was 15 years old, she was drinking. And um, this is kind of like the beginning of her mother, you know, really trying to influence her and talk to her about her drinking. And the beginning of her just kind of going, no, don't worry, mommy. I'm okay. I'm sorry. I got it together, right? Yeah, I got it together. And that's the the addict's line, you know, and throughout... The next, you know, 12 years, that was her line with her mom. Every time her mom tried to confront her about this, and oh, no, it's okay, mommy, I'm okay. So it's tough. What do you do with that? And of course, then she met uh, Blake Fielder Civil yeah. and um, struggled, you know, and got, you know, of course, before that, she got discovered and became hugely famous, just like Kurt Cobain, you know, very, very early on. And uh, Janice and Mitch, her husband, her ex-husband, knew that that was a bad cocktail with the with Amy's personality. But, you know, there's really not the the rock has started rolling down the hill. There's nothing you can do about it at that point. You know, of course, when she became really strung out, her father repeatedly tried to get her into rehab. And thus the song Rehab, which um, was kind of the personality of Amy throughout her life, which was, no, I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. And that was what her parents um, had to deal with all her life and tragically, you know, ended in alcohol poisoning. Well, of course, I should play rehab, but I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm gonna play, you know, I'm no good. Yes. Sad as losing Kurt Cobain, uh, Amy Winehouse was <laughs> certainly a talent, and it would have been really interesting to see what uh, what she would have done as she matured as an artist. Yeah, I know it's uh, that's the other tragedy besides you know losing a child and a person is losing the potential 
of what uh, musical right. yeah. you know amazing right. musical yeah. kinds of roads that these people would have taken but you know the mom janice is has been able to go on and and she had another, you know, child, an older son who has yeah. a grandchild. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, grandchildren are always the yeah. thing that brings, you know, grandparents back to life if their child dies. You know, it's like, oh, my God, I got to do this for this child. And so she's been able to move on. And she and her ex-husband, Mitch, um, created a foundation to honor Amy and try to deal with some of the things that Amy had gone through. It's called the Amy Winehouse Foundation. Yeah, I believe you can find it at amywinehousefoundation.org. That's easy to Mm -hmm. remember. It's about drug education as well as support for uh, children that have musical inclinations and gives them studio time and professional support to young musicians. So it's, it's, it's a nice way for parents, I think, to be able to come to grips with their child's death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's all the time we have today to uh, talk about the, all of these musicians that are in the book. You know, so what's your, what's your grand takeaway? Did we come to a consensus on what <laughs> makes a rock star and that, uh, you know, young mothers should read to propel themselves as they develop young rock stars, which every mother <laughs> really, really <laughs> looks forward to do. Well, I would have I would have liked that myself, but you know, unfortunately there's obviously that's not a how to book, you know. <laughs> there's no roadmap <laughs> no, to create not. these children. No. But but you know, the one thing that she brought up was all that all these moms shared is this a kind of isolation, you know, that their kids were different. I mean, when, when Virginia Grohl was going through this with her son, there weren't other mothers to you know, to kind of get together. Like if your kid is on the soccer team, you have lots of other parents you can find common ground with. But if your child is a rock star, you don't have that many common grounds. And so that I related to that with her because, you know, I have kids that are different in some ways. And um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of see other people's isolation with parenting. So she kind of divides the moms between those who supported their kids and those who just stepped aside and kept Mm -hmm. out of the way. So their kids showed um, promise and they either full-heartedly supported them or just didn't oppose them. Was there any mother in the book that just didn't want this to happen and actively didn't pay attention or no. didn't like it or yeah. or what have you uh you i know, think, I with, think with some of the artists that we didn't talk about today, right or, N- no? not with them because what i think what her theory is is that there were not you know not just the women in the book but other women that she approached about interviewing and i think what she feels is like maybe the women that didn't want to were maybe ones that had opposed their kids you know, becoming musicians. And so they didn't yeah, really I mean, want to talk about it. They're all kinds, yeah. definitely. And, so. and that the danger with that, it, what she sees the danger with that is there are those who bucked it and pressured their kids to follow the more conventional paths. And those, either those kids later, they maybe turned out to be lawyers or, or, you know, or record moguls or whatever, they may look back and, and regret yeah. that they didn't get to be musicians or they severed ties with their families right. because they didn't get the support that they needed. And so that caused a rift 
yeah. in their family. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I, the only thread I really found about being a mom of a rock musician was your kid is born with it or they, they don't. And you either go with it and you help them do it or you don't. Right. And that's it. Well, you can, did you, do you recommend the book? What do you think? I recommend the book. I mean, you know, there are a lot of stars in the book that I don't follow or care about that much. So I wasn't as interested in reading about them. But nevertheless, they may have had interesting stories like Getty Lee. You know, I wasn't really familiar. You know, I'm not a fan, but I found his mother's story very interesting and thus his story very interesting. And so if you're a mom of a musician, I think this would be a really interesting book or if you're a musician and you want to see how other musicians were raised and what their stories are, it could be really interesting too. It's a pretty upbeat book. You know, it's not even with the the parents whose kids committed suicide or died. You know, it's not going super in-depth into what uh what, what their the stories were, were yeah. or or the, or the yeah, it's it's about the life and the, and especially them raising the children uh, to becoming who they were. Right. Okay. And, you know, and of course, Virginia Grohl has every right to be a super proud mom. Oh, God, yeah. And she's more proud of him as a human being than of his acclaim and money and such. You know, she keeps talking about how he should be father of the year and how he's done good things, you know, with his money and and that kind of thing. And, and I totally relate to that. Of course, you want your kids to be good people above all else. Well, so, there you have it. That's right. All right, diggers, go out and get, uh, what is the damn From book called? From Cradle to Stage by Virginia Grohl. All right, there you have it. All <laughs> right, we'll see you next month, Shelley, with uh, another edition of the Rock and Roll Librarian. But for now, let's leave everybody with a little of Dave and the Foo Fighters and Everlong. Goodbye. <laughs> Hey diggers, Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love. From the Beatles to Bruno Mars, Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs. 
in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. The Rock and Roll Librarian. Produced and hosted by Christian Swain. Co-host, Shelley Sorensen. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.